0: Dinosaurs, pirates, steam engines, talking gorillas, airplane factories. If you're afraid of all of those things, then Michael Crichton might not be for you. Arguably the grandfather of the techno-thriller, today's episode is Michael Crichton's Books Ranked by Me. And this is The Book Pile, a comedy podcast about the best of books and the worst of books. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and I'm grateful to my father who took me to see Jurassic Park when I was 11 because it became the most memorable movie experience I've ever had, and it would never have happened if my mom was in town that week. Now, just to be very clear again for anyone thinking of leaving the podcast, Dave Vance is still very much the other half of the book pile, and he will continue to grace us as co-host every other week. In the meantime, this is a solo episode, but I have some fun guests coming up in the near future. Some of them you've heard of, some of them you haven't. But either way, I'll make sure that every episode is still as fun and funny as possible because I edit out all of the boring parts. Now, for next week's episode with Dave, uh, we will be discussing the book Humans, written by the very successful photographer and storyteller Brandon Stanton, creator of the Instagram profile Humans of New York. A quick fun announcement, very exciting for us. If you're ever interested in reading or listening to a book that we talk about on the podcast, you can now go to that episode's description on your phone and click on the Amazon link to that book. Whether you want a physical book, Kindle, or even an Audible version, most of the books we've discussed have all three options available. The only way that I've been able to get through one to two books a week, every week for this podcast is by listening to books on Audible. And you can get your first one free. Audible has literally changed my life with the amount of great ideas that I've implemented into my family life, health, and career from books. So if you'd like to support our podcast, we finally have a way for you to do it. Feel free to buy your next book through the podcast by clicking on that link in the description. Not while you are driving, unless, of course, you are very good at using Amazon on your phone while steering, at which point I believe that it is legal depending on the state you live in. Thanks to everyone who's come to see a live show of mine recently. So many subscribers to the podcast have come out, including, I want to mention Navy and Seth, who both drove over four hours from Wyoming just to see me in West Jordan, Utah last week. Thanks so much for coming out. It was a blast. By the way, other people were at the show too. It wasn't just me in a two-person capacity club. And again, I'll be announcing more shows soon. But for now, I've got Ramona, California, in a couple weeks, August 12th. Pleasanton, California, October 13th. And Des Moines, Iowa, December 9th through the 10th. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. Now, Michael Crichton, one of my favorite authors. And I love different authors for their different skill sets. Jack Handy makes me laugh. Leanne Moriarty is amazing at rich characters. Stephen King is great at scaring you and then disappointing you with the ending. I love Michael Crichton because he's surgical at designing page turners that are somehow also filled with actual scientific and historical facts without it feeling teachy. Parentheses, the one weird exception to me being half a chapter in timeline that he spends just on quantum physics, like at a chalkboard, and it does just feel like reading a lecture and parentheses. Anyway, the way that Crichton opens his last fully completed novel next encapsulates why I have enjoyed so many of his books. The page before the introduction simply reads, quote, This novel is fiction, except for the parts that aren't. By the way, it's also how I start my journals. And that's why I love so many of his stories. He makes you believe that the tale he's spinning is actually possible, from nanotechnology to time travel to getting infected by something from outer space. It's the reason why the newest Jurassic World movies are so forgettable, because I think those filmmakers forgot that the first Jurassic part gave us a sense of wonder, not just because the dinosaurs looked real, but because Michael Crichton made us believe that cloning dinosaurs could be real. Don't tell me you don't think of that every time you're in a jewelry shop in New Mexico and see a necklace with a bug stuck in amber. Now, before I get to this list of Michael Crichton's books ranked, I have to say that I am fundamentally against lists. I'm against using lists to rank things against each other as a means to express their value. If you're the type of person who says stuff like, Toy Story 3 is better than Toy Story 4, you still have said nothing to me. Tell me what you liked about Toy Story 3. Tell me what you didn't like about Toy Story 4. But your answer better not be Keanu Reeves because that man is a gift. I'm just saying that ranking things is probably the most empty way to describe something, but it's also the easiest, which is why I suppose it's so commonplace. All of this being said, Roger Ebert once said that all lists ranking movies are wrong, but the one thing that ranked lists can provide is maybe helping someone discover something that they will love that they didn't know existed Before he, of course, talking about movies, I'll be talking about Michael Crichton books, most of which were made into bad movies. But the principle remains the same. My list isn't going to align with your list. Also, the order of my list probably would change next week if you ask me again. I didn't take it too seriously. The only point of this list is so that I can talk about some books that I like in a more engaging way. My first idea was to sing this entire episode. And also so that maybe someone out there discovers a new book that they'll enjoy. So now, without further ado, here are Michael Crichton's Books Ranked. All right, I'm going to list these off from least best to most best. And to be transparent out of the gate, I haven't read all of his books, just most of them. So if one of your picks isn't on my list at all, it's because I haven't read it. And embarrassing as it is, and as big of a Michael Crichton fan I am, I have to admit I still haven't read The Andromeda Strain, though it's coming up on my Audible queue, nor The Terminal Man or Disclosure or any of his Pulp Fiction novels that he wrote to put himself through medical school under the pen name John Lange. Lange? Still don't even know. Speaking of which, he wrote four or five of those books, then grew disenchanted with the medical profession, still received his M.D. from Harvard Medical School, which I hear is a decent institution, and that same year, The Andromeda Strain was published. It became an immediate hit, And Crichton never practiced medicine after that. I don't know if those two things are related, but certainly if I were given the choice to either be a millionaire writing books or an eventual millionaire dealing with sick people, I would probably choose the one that involved fewer patients coughing in my face. Anyway, all those books aside and most of the books written posthumously from half-finished manuscripts aside as well. Here are the top 12 Michael Crichton books of the 12 Michael Crichton books I've read. Number 12, Eaters of the Dead. I know this one sounds like a Harry Potter spinoff, but instead, it's the only Michael Crichton book I stopped reading halfway through. And by halfway through, I am really rounding up. It actually might even be a good book, so it's not really that fair that I'm placing it dead last on my list. It's only there because of how much it lost my interest. But just like the Beatles songs that I don't listen to, I don't deny that talent was involved. It's just that it's narrated as sort of a scientific commentary of a manuscript from the 10th century, which obviously takes skill. It just wasn't appealing to me when I picked it up at 32 and then set it down and I was still 32. Next on my list at number 11 is the book Next, which was the last fully completed novel that Crichton wrote before he passed. Unlike his other novels, it's told in like a series of unconnected stories that then become connected, but to me, not in a very convincing way. And There's some interesting cautionary stuff in there about genetic engineering, but Jurassic Park has that too, so if that's what you're looking for, I would next this book. (sighs) Sorry, I sound like a 19-year-old movie critic. Number 10 for me is Rising Sun. Uh, This book has a lot of interesting insights uh, into Japanese culture, primarily business practices. And I actually don't even know if it's aged well in that respect because it came out in 1992. I also don't know if it's aged well because I only read this once in my mid-20s. So another reason why it's so low on my list is because it honestly might not be that great. Like I've said before, I read Twilight when I was 22, and I was pretty much on board with that one. So take this mild recommendation with a huge grain of salt So The main things that I do remember from this book are the story of how Japanese TV companies destroyed American TV competition. Remember how we all had Zenith TVs and how that company doesn't exist anymore. And also, it was the first time that I had ever seen the idea of re-editing security footage. And this is a huge threat now, one of the many actual dangers of AI. But at the time. It was revolutionary and an extremely laborious approach to covering up a crime. By the way, do you ever consider how people like Michael Crichton or Christopher Nolan or so many crime authors would... Be great at committing crimes. Anyway, number nine. So most lists get about halfway through before you get to that transition from bad to good stuff. But this is when my list changes, and in my opinion, pretty much everything from here on out is worth a read. Coming in at number nine is Congo. It's got an ancient diamond mine guarded by intelligent gorillas, a volcano, a hot air balloon. Sounds a lot like the Mummy, too, right? Well, there's no Scorpion King in this one, but it does employ some technology that was so cool in 1987 that now every six-year-old has on their iPhone. So as with many of his books, you really do have to read it in the context of the time or pretend that all the characters are little children. That's fun, too. All right, next on the list at number eight is a book called Pirate Latitudes. This is the only book of his that I've read that was published posthumously because it had the most complete manuscript of any of his posthumous books. And I'm sure it would probably have ranked higher on this list if he'd had the opportunity to complete the necessary additional drafts. But I enjoyed it because, as I mentioned earlier, like all typical Crichton, he slips interesting facts into every page of his stories. For example, this book starts in the year 1665, so the year our president was born, and he hits the ground running with weird historical info in the second page of this book, which reads, quote, Governor Almont was 51 years old. He used preparations to cure his loss of hair. For several years now, he would favored myrtle berries, also a paste of olive oil, ashes, and ground earthworms to prevent his hair from turning white. So not only is it interesting, but also helpful. I've been using worm ash oil for a while now, and my hair has maintained a very sleek-looking earthworm color. Now, it's a fun read, and it's got the only pirate ship battle that uses trigonometry that I've ever read. Again, I just wish he'd been around to polish the story. Uh, It does feel a bit thinly explained towards the end, but at least his estate made millions of dollars off of it. So coming in at number seven is a book called Airframe. Now, this one doesn't have like the fun, cutting edge technologies that uh, most of my favorite novels of his have, but it's got at its heart a compelling mystery that deals with the real problem of the deliberately manipulative power of journalism using the world of airplane manufacturing as a medium. And if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, that's okay. I actually don't plan on reading it a second time. But the one thing I took from it is the very real concrete story of the demise of the DC-10 aircraft, if you haven't heard of this, in a much too simplified nutshell, but just so you get the idea. In 1979, the deadliest airport aviation accident in U.S. history occurred when the engine... the engine fell off of an American Airlines DC-10 passenger plane during takeoff. And an investigation later confirmed that it was because the guys doing maintenance on that engine had misused their forklift in pulling the engine down out of place, which stressed uh, many of the components. But then they just put it back at the end of their service like nothing happened and without reporting the incident. And just a few weeks later the engine fell off. But the investigation wasn't widely reported because investigations are boring news. And it was so long after the crash took place that the media already came in and did the insane job of telling the world that, well, looks like engines just fall off of these DC-10s. And so that model of plane was discontinued, losing the McDonnell Douglas company billions, not because that model of airplane was faulty, but just because two idiots sucked at their job imagine if mcdonald's went out of business because one time one guy put toothpaste on one big mac and then every news outlet in the world was like don't you hate how every big mac has toothpaste on it that's the news anyway just think about that the next time you read a news story that seems too cut and dry nothing is simple most things are complicated None of us want to think that that's the case, right? We'd rather just tell you that Toy Story 3 is better than Toy Story 4. Now, coming in at number six is Prey. That's P-R-E-Y, in case you were wondering if Crichton went with a massive genre twist. So Prey is an early 2000s novel, a cautionary tale of AI. <laughs> it just occurred to me. Are there any tales about AI that aren't cautionary? Anyway, it deals with AI and nanotechnology. And this is the first time that I learned about what nanotechnology was, or at least the idea of it. And it scares me. And I hope I'm dead before regenerating nanotech is actually created in this world, because we are all going to soon die after it is anyway. This book feels like a movie, and it probably would have been made into one if Crichton hadn't become leery of selling movie rights after Timeline was so thoroughly ruined when its movie came out. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but among a thousand other mistakes, who knew that Paul Walker couldn't pull off a historian graduate student character Rest his soul, and rest his film's soul at 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway, there are some genuinely fun high-stakes sequences in Prey. Sci-fi imagery I'd never come across before in a sci-fi book. A couple of cheesy moments, uh, but again, lots of super interesting science in the realms of genetic algorithms, host parasite co-evolution, and... Population Dynamics, which is where I got my first deep dive into hive minds. Essentially, the idea that a lot of dumb things can come all together to make smart decisions, which is actually how I've come to appreciate comedy audiences as they respond to jokes I'm working on. And now, ranked at number five for me is Timeline. I know a few of you hate that this is as high as it is on my list, and I know this because we actually received an email from someone who was so angry about me saying that Timeline was good on a previous episode because apparently this listener then read the whole thing and thought that it wasn't good. Uh, I'm not going to apologize. I'm just saying that I know that what I like, other people might not like. As Abraham Lincoln once said, quote, you can't please all the presidential assassins all the time. Anyway, we've done an episode on this book. Uh, it's episode 73, if you want to check it out. So I won't repeat myself, but I love the tension in the story. The chapters quickly become a countdown. I love the villains' motives, and I love the history. Again, you can hate this book, but if you have the choice to learn about 14th century French architecture from either a thick textbook Or a story about time travel and sword fights? Would you still spend the time to send me an angry email? And speaking of divisive things, coming in at number four for me is State of Fear. Now this book may come as a surprise to be this high on the list, but it's because this book has affected how I think probably more than any novel. And I don't mean how I think about climate change. I mean about how i approach conversations specifically conversations about topics to which i don't know enough about and admitting that i don't know enough about that topic like how much can you back up everything that you are saying this book revealed to me how much more self-aware i needed to be it is so well researched. And every scientific answer that you think you might know about climate change, or whatever scientific topic it is, can you back up what you said? Point big. know what you are talking about, or just don't talk about it. And by the way, knowing what you are talking about doesn't count if your one source is, I heard it on the radio, or I read a thing on Instagram. Speaking of which, you can only comment on this novel if you've actually read it. Liberals call it climate change denial. Conservatives touted it at the time as evidence that climate change isn't real. But the truth is, Michael Crichton, first of all, was a Democrat. And second of all, the real point of this book was to illustrate what Michael Crichton calls bad science. Also, what he says in the book is, yes, we're putting more CO2 into the atmosphere than humans ever have. Yes, the planet is on a warming trend that is potentially dangerous, but making those two things equal exact cause and effect is bad science when none of the climate change models can agree with each other. Again, please don't start high-fiving your don't tread on me flag because he also essentially says... Yes, let's back off on letting scientific claims influence government regulation when that science still cannot be fully replicated due to the thousands of variables that we're still figuring out. But at the same time, can we please still come up with solutions to lower these emissions just because emissions are bad? Like, I don't want to get into a weird political debate. You ever notice it when a movie comes out and people say, I didn't like it, it was too political. It just means that It didn't agree with their own politics, because when a film does agree with someone's politics, the response is just, it was a good movie. So, politics aside, because as I said before, everything is more complicated than we want to think it is, I just know that I'm in the camp of whether or not warming is man-made, could we still all try and lower the pollution levels, because who wants to breathe pollution? why would anybody be okay with that? Now, I bet some of you are going, this podcast is getting too political. So I'll move right on to number three, which is a book everyone has heard of called Zero Cool. I'm kidding. That's one of his novels with a babe on the front that he published in his 20s just for the money. So my actual number three is Jurassic Park. And to get more of my feelings on that one, just listen to our Jurassic Park episode that Dave and I did on the podcast, episode 57. It's a lot of fun, and I make a great Ankylosaur joke, and I still don't know if I'm saying that dinosaur's name correctly. Also, I'm not actually sure if this book really is great. It's like how Dave has said about little women. It might just be that I enjoy this book because I've loved the movie since I was a kid. Certainly the characters are more fun in the movie, and uh, different characters die in the movie from the book. So the book is is also fun because it's almost sort of a Jurassic Park in a slightly different dimension sort of story. All right, coming in at second place is The Great Train Robbery. Again, ranking is silly, and honestly, these top 3 are probably interchangeable, and uh probably a better way to rank my favorite books would be counting how many times I've gone back and reread them, which for these top 3 is 3 times each. And honestly, though, one reason that I would never put this one at number 1 is because there is a scene in this book that I hate, and I skip it when I revisit it. It's a moment that deals with underage prostitution, which it isn't sensationalized. And I'm sure it's historically accurate. I just don't want to have to hear about it in what is otherwise just a very fun, very believable take on how the actual Great Gold Robbery of 1855 may have taken place. Again, it's another novelist just full of rich history, this time in 19th century London, which was growing into the world's first industrial metropolis. And Crichton puts you right in the middle of the grime, the crime, and the innovation of those people trying to survive in, again, what was the fastest growing city in history at the time. Plus, it's got trains, so how could I not put it in the top three? All right, we've arrived at the number one spot, which I've given to Sphere, which we'll be covering on the podcast at some point in the near future, I hope. But first, I want everyone to get a chance to read it. Again, Jurassic Park is the only good Crichton book movie adaptation, so please don't roll your eyes at this being my number one if you've only seen the underwhelming Dustin Hoffman film. For me, Sphere combines everything that's great about the best Crichton novels. Page-turning suspense, mystery, a sense of wonder. There's that Crichton sense of plausibility. And also just new ideas that I had never considered before concerning future technology alien technology, even psychology, and a couple other topics that I can't mention because it would spoil it, but let's just say that one of them concerns a big round thing. Also, it has maybe my favorite what's-in-the-box storyline of any book I've ever read, and an inspiring concluding speech on the power of human imagination that comes from an unexpected source. So that's my list. I hope you've been enjoying this as a solo episode. I'm not done yet. I still have a few more jokes till we're over. But as I'm playing around with formats for these episodes, uh, when Dave isn't here and I don't have a guest, uh, I hope that talking quickly through lists might be a way to get all of you to come back on these very lonely weeks. All right. Since I think we've established that most of our normal segments don't hit the same without Dave here to respond, I'm going to rattle off a quick lightning round of random facts today. So number one, Michael Crichton was 6'9", and if you're wondering what that is in centimeters, so am I. Number two, as incredibly thoroughly researched as most of his novels are, The bibliography of his first bestseller, The Andromeda Strain, is actually all fiction. Number three, it seems that at some point in the 90s, Michael Crichton went from never using the F word in his books, what I call the Grisham policy, to then having at least one character in every book use it for some reason. So just know that, to whom it may concern. For example, Jurassic Park has no F-bombs though it does have plenty of dinosaurs tearing people apart. But then the villain in Timeline seems like he just learned the word, and it's his favorite. All right, number four. When I myself was doing some light research on Michael Crichton, the bottom of one Google search page had a recommended section that started with, quote, people also search for books by Sam Neill. Uh, (laughs) Really, Google. Fans of science fiction are also going in droves looking for books for the guy who played Dr. Grant. (laughs) You know what books I love? Uh, Anything written by either Stephen King or that dog who played Cujo. Finally, number five, I watched an interview with Michael Crichton when he was on Charlie Rose, Uh, rest his cancelled soul, and Charlie Rose is so inflexibly serious and seemingly determined to make everything he himself says as either a very important question or a very important answer, that at one point he asks Crichton, do you think that time travel will be possible using quantum physics? And Crichton responds with, I don't know. And Rose comes back with, that's even more interesting. You don't know. (laughs) Is that interesting, Charlie? Uh, Well, I know this. You got me too'd and we're always boring. Now, number six, as a last reminder, if any of the books today or any of the books on any episode sound like a worthwhile read or listen to you, feel free to click on the links to purchase the books in our episode descriptions. Thanks for listening and come back next week for Humans. <laughs> Sorry, that sounded creepy. I just meant that me and Dave will be covering the book called Humans Next Week.